0: This is Your Bird Story, a broadcast of bird stories told by everyday people about their interactions and relationships with wild birds in cities. I'm your host, Georgia Solvera-Seamans. Hello, welcome to another episode of Your Bird Story. Today, our guest is a type of guest we haven't had on the show before, never had a podcaster on this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. And if you love podcasts like I do, you are going to want to subscribe to this podcast. So I'm going to let our guest introduce themselves.
1: Hannah. hello. hello. My name is Ken, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the host of By the Fire podcast. And that's so cool to hear that you haven't had a podcaster on the podcast.
0: Ken, can you tell us about the name of your podcast and what it's about?
1: Yes. So like I said, my podcast is By the Fire podcast, and it's about mythology and folklore from across the Black Diaspora. And I named it By the Fire because it just reminds me of, you know, campfire, experiences where you just tell scary stories around the fire and that was essentially the premise of the name I have like a backstory of when I was in Nigeria when I was a child we had no light and then some area boys which are like sort of men who are on road young young men and they came in and brought in a generator and that generated light. And I remember just being like me and my cousin running around the garden being like, oh, my gosh, we can see everything. So I think just the whole idea of like light bringing community and like happiness. And that was definitely the theme of like the podcast being that storytelling isn't just about, you know, being able to impress someone by what you know, but also allowing conversation, allowing community, allowing things to be passed on. So that's where By the Fire comes from.
0: And how long have you been on air?
1: I'd say two and a half years now. The first episode dropped August 2020. So during the first lockdown, And it's definitely been like a really great experience like these past two and a half years, just being able to work with different people from around the world and just learn more. So yeah, I'm just so ready for however many more years I do this for.
0: Do you recall what your first episode was about?
1: Oh yes, definitely. It was the intro episode was about silk cotton tree, which I've had a more updated version of the episode, but essentially that's a tree that, Is the home of many spirits, particularly in Jamaica, but also in Ghana. And it's an amazing tree because it's basically the home of all these spirits. And it's thought that if you cut it down, then you'll be killed or haunted because, again, of these malevolent spirits. And it was really interesting to research about how, yeah, people were trying to build a road through this tree. I believe it was in Tobago one of the islands in the Caribbean, again, there was just problems. So they had to like build around that tree. So that was my first one. That was my first like little mini episode.
0: What's your process for putting together an episode? Like, I suppose, how do you come to find your stories?
1: The way I would do it is, I have two different ways, but the way I used to do it was basically giving out information that I find. So the way it starts is, Okay, have an episode. I want to talk about creatures of the sky, for example, given your podcast. And I want to find different sky creatures from different parts of the diaspora. So I'm Nigerian, but I was born in the UK. So I'd want to find something from back home in Africa or, you know, the Caribbean islands or African-American culture And then I look online back when I was able to have online resources to like free libraries through university. And it'd be so easy to find like so many articles about these like cryptids, these hybrids, um, mythology that's been written down. And then I just put it together based on themes of, you know, what does it look like? Where is it from? What's the origin story of this creature? What is it and how to escape it? Because I think in every horror story, even like in the films, there's always this element of, okay, but how do we overcome this challenge, you know? also an example? How do we beat like Voldemort, for example? <laughs> how do we, how, you know, how do we destroy each Horcrux? Like there's always something that's like, there's this really difficult task or really difficult creature or villain, but there's always a way to overcome it. It's just really difficult. You have to be really smart, really cunning, um, really brave. And that's like, the most favourite thing for me to learn as well. I think another thing that I'd quite like to research is any like appearances in person, so actually relating it to real life, real history. So the Kongomato, which is supposedly a pterosaur from Zambia, it was actually supposedly discovered recently in 1925 in a swamp. So like these things aren't just stories or fairy tales that we hear from centuries ago, but they're also supposedly being spotted in the t- last century as well. So I quite like relating it to the actual real life phenomenon that supposedly exists as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That's one creature of the air. Can you share some yeah, others with yes. us?
1: Yeah. So we have the Impondulu, who is, I believe, from South Africa. Yes, right. And it's a lightning bird. So it's a wing creature that supposedly can, you know, emit lightning from its like, talons. And it's supposedly actually a familiar of a witch. So it does the biddings of a witch against the witch's enemies. And because it's immortal, it's actually then passed on to the witch's daughter and then offsprings f- forever. And the only way you can basically like kill it, how you can escape it, is by setting it alight. So it's a very interesting bird because it's powerful, but it's still under... The bondage of its owner?
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Fire coming from the talons. It makes me think of, ooh, there was a story, a sign story before the pandemic, I think, that talked mm. about raptors in maybe it was New Zealand or Australia or maybe savannah type ecosystems. And these birds would break off lit twigs and then carry them at a distance to spread fire and I'll have to verify this but it was seemed to be like a hunting tactic so when the grasses would alight then the smaller creatures living in the grasses would run out and then the raptor could hunt them And I'm wondering then if that story is a story of that particular species. So the way that story and science are often really integral to each other.
1: Oh, yes. I mean, another feature of the Impundulu is the fact that it's thought to be a vampire bird as well. Mm. So it can also feed off like blood of its fellow birds, which is similar to the like, vampire groundfinch, which is a bird that feeds off the blood of like of booby birds. So again, and also the va- vampire bat. So the finch lives in Galapagos. Yeah. Oh my and, goodness.
0: Yeah. A vampire and, groundfinch.
1: Yeah. They feed off their fellow birds. If they don't have like seeds or something, they get enough nutrients from the blood.
0: Oh, that's so wild. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes, this lightning bird does that as well. So again, like that whole link in between what exists and what could be encrypted, it is is like so interesting to like learn about. Any other creatures of the air in mythology? Yes, so we have something called Yumbos and they are from Senegal and they are these little fairies, they're grey, and they are... Are thought to be the spirits of those who have passed away. So they tend to come together and have parties when everyone is asleep. It actually is quite nice and wholesome. So they have these little parties and they're served by waiters who don't have feet or hands somehow. And then they literally just have a feast every night. And then they supposedly work with the humans. So they never take too much food from the humans, it's always enough for what they need. They're re- really cute and wholesome and there's not really like much about them, but they are like quite small. They live off the capital of Senegal, which is a Dakar. And yeah, they're just known as the Bakna Rakna, which means good people. So they are actually one of the few benevolent creatures I, I talk about. Mm. Yeah.
0: One of the early episodes that we did was about the Cardinal mm. in North America and Both guests who spoke of the cardinal, actually a third guest spoke about the cardinal as having the role of bodying a relative, a family member who had passed. Mm -hmm. And if one saw a cardinal, that was that family member coming to visit. I quite like the idea of one's family member, one's loved one coming Mm -hmm. back and visiting you in the form of a bird there's something yes. really tender and sweet about that
1: you know you think about birds and how like you know they are free to like to fly and it sounds cheesy but I do think it's a huge contrast to how you might see a loved one before they die especially if they're sick so knowing that they have this like vast earth to explore and the fact that they come back as well, like supposedly is something just to think about and think, oh, that's so lovely. Like even with the Yombos, like they're departed spirits, but it's never anything that's sad. It's something that, that they they love plum wine, they love to drink, they love to party and enjoy drums and they listen to this lovely percussion. So it's something that's just endearing to think about when you lose a loved one, that it's not the end. There's this paradise and it's not far away. It's still home, but it's when we're all asleep. It was really good to like read about and ponder as well. You know, there are many
0: ways that you could think about how birds fit into life and the sort of way they fit into culture is really mm. important. And I'm just now on my own exploring that aspect of them, and it's fascinating and it's mm. joyful, and these stories make me smile. Do you have a favorite
1: Creatures of the Air story? I think I would say it's the Yombos, to be honest, because the reason I was just talking about the fact that it's just really like, wholesome and endearing, and they just want to enjoy. They also dance on the grave of their past self. It's definitely like exploring that relationship with the departed, with death, but turning it into a positive light. I think that would be my favourite.
0: Yeah, dancing on the grave of your past self. The memory of the person gets to be one of happiness, not always sadness. Yes. Do you have a favourite bird, Ken?
1: Yes, the owl ah any particular owl or just owls in general owls in general i remember from young like they were just my favorite i think just because they're just so mysterious i feel like Mm. i'm saying this as a normie you'll definitely know more about them and maybe they're actually really like nice and just normal but for me they're just like wow you don't really see them where i'm from i think because i'm from the city i don't really see them a lot so they've always just been a bird that has like intrigued me a lot. <laughs> In New York, right? You have pigeons, don't you? Yes, there are a lot of pigeons. Yeah. And are there different kinds of pigeons? I know, because I see white pigeons as well. Like, what's that about? So they do have different
0: color morphs. The white ones are not as common. So many cool things about pigeons. I love the way that they love being
1: around people. <laughs> We can talk about like, bird feeding, but they certainly just love like being around people who just have McDonald's and like, might drop a chip or two, and then it's just a buffet from there. They definitely thrive in those kind of busy areas for sure. I go and get bird food, um, which is actually quite accessible. You can go to your local supermarket and get like a bird feeding pack. It used to be something that I would do during lockdown where you couldn't really go out in a group, so... My university has a lake on campus and they'd have ducks, I think geese as well. And it was just such a nice pastime to just get the food and then throw it out. And then they'd all just flock towards the edge. And you'd see so many people being like, oh my gosh. And I would just think, wow, this is all because of me. And and it's so cute to see them just being attentive at first, being like, mm, I can see a bit. And then once one bird, goes to start feeding then others come like okay no it's all good guys come on yeah i think for the soul for the feels it was very very nice to watch and just reminded me of like because i'm christian how important it is as humans to take care of other animals Hmm. and not to do it for any benefit of course there is that intrinsic benefit of you feel good about helping another creature but you know i spent money and time to do that and it just felt like nice that yeah you're doing something to feed the birds and it's just really cool it's not something that I did before so I definitely like do it, enjoy it
0: so you've continued to do it post the quarantine
1: I did but I'm not in that like city anymore so it's definitely about like looking for like places where I can do it but it definitely was like really nice when I was do you not have to like feed them to entice them to closer so you can then like watch and observe
0: you know I have a pair of binoculars and if I can't see them up close I use my binoculars to see them look on the ground in shrubs in small trees up into the canopy of taller trees in the sky and also listen there may be a handful of birds that I know their vocalizations so if I hear them then I'll start looking around for them Certain birds like the blue jay, for example, if the blue jay is making a lot of calls, then I might think, oh, maybe there's a cooper's hawk or a red-tailed hawk around. If the pigeons suddenly flush, which means they're perched, and then suddenly they're swooping quickly, circling in the air, then I might think, well, oh, maybe there's someone who is throwing down seed, So they're sort of flying to that part of the park, or maybe there's a raptor around. So I should be looking around for that. You know, I know my local park really well. So there are also certain locations in the park, and it's not a big park, it's 10 acres. But there's Mm -hmm. certain spots that I go to to see if there are certain kinds of birds there, depending on the season. So because I know that park so well that's usually where I go to look for birds. That's a something that's known, that process is known as patch birding. If I go to a new location, then maybe the tips I use for my park, I try to use them there, but you just have to kind of get to know the new place. And the more time you spend in it, the more you know where you can look for certain kinds of birds. It's really nice. And my park still and it's not really my park but the park I go to a lot you know there's still surprises there so I don't think you get to totally know a place through and through a hundred percent.
1: I love people who have like hobbies and things again enthusiasts so that is an amazing thing. Do you know much about the the, silk cotton tree? Have you heard of that before? That
0: episode of your podcast Mm -hmm. was the first time. And then I heard a story about this tree on a different podcast. And that was the second time I'd heard about this Silk Cotton tree. So Lovely. you introduced me to this tree. And I have to say, I mean, the stories you share with people are incredible and they're just so many. And I love the fact that it's the, not the conventional mythology Mm. that some people might be used to. I love that it's from the African diaspora. I love that perspective. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing. I think it's just what we need. You know, Western white Europeans don't have the handle (laughs) on mythology and folklore. So really kudos to you. And I hope there are many more years of this podcast.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the reason why like I made it was because, you know, I was listening to another podcast, which I won't name. But, you know, it was completely erased the whole diaspora stories, literature. And I just thought, well, that's crazy because there's so many superstitions that we do today that is related back to ancestral practices in African-American culture, which is Vast in itself, in the South, with the blue ceilings that are painted blue in the South' homes, like above the porches, that's done because spirits can't cross water. so they they would see the blue ceiling and think that's water, so they won't go into the house. And you know, if you go to the south, you see a lot of the the houses like that. And again, that's just African-American like law that is now put into architecture? New to me,
0: and I'm going to look this up because I want to learn more.
1: Definitely do. I mean, you guys have like so much and, you know, it differs based on like region and what might have migrated based on those who moved from the south to the northern states. And a lot of it just needs to be told. I know there's like an issue with gatekeeping as well. But I think there is so much that you can learn about your own culture that I can learn as well. And then same as me, I can learn about Nigerian things that I didn't know because I've been in England this whole time that someone else can then learn. So it's really like a two-way, how many millions of ways a like, conversation with people. So I do enjoy it. I do. I hope that this
0: year will bring lots of owls into your life. And I'm so glad that we got to talk (laughs) about creatures of the sky and lots of other things related to birds.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. I really wish the best for yourself and your podcast. And yeah, I really hope really nice birds. flock to you. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia.
0: Firebirds are real. On February 22, 2016, writer Christian Smith published an article in Audubon magazine about the creatures, and here I'm going to quote read from the article. The research is not yet published or peer reviewed. Right now, it's based on the anecdotal evidence collected by Bob Gosford. An Australian lawyer who represents the interests of Aboriginal people in Australia's Northern Territory with assistance from Penn State Geographer Dr. Mark Bonta. The evidence suggests that the kites and falcons native to Australian savannah have wised up to the fact that the habitat hosts many forest fires during the dry season and use that to their advantage. The birds pick up burning sticks and drop them in places they suspect delicious prey may be hiding. Then, as lizards, snakes, frogs, and smaller birds scurry away from the flames, the predators are in perfect position to attack." The researchers are collecting anecdotal evidence from the personal testimonies of Australian firefighters, as well as Indigenous people. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Your Bird Story. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you back here next month.